Sunday. Uh, if I can have everybody stand up real quick. All right, we're going to get started. And then um, before we start with the service, I'd like to have my man Isaiah come up to the front. All right. This is your time, Isaiah. Just uh, He's going to give a quick testimony of just what the Lord's been doing in his life. So please uh, welcome him to the stage as he, as he shares. Yeah, um, I want to talk about uh, Matthew 16 15 Jesus said go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation what um yeah I remember um just dropping out of college and I was just lost and I, I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life and what purpose I have and um I, I knew I wanted to help people but I didn't know how I couldn't even help myself and um I remember dropping out and I was in my room and I see a stack of books that I couldn't read and couldn't study. And then I saw the Bible and I was like, I could at least read this and this could help me. And I just started weeping and just asking the Lord to forgive me of how long I backslid it and just, I wasted my whole uh, teenage life uh, for nothing. And um, yeah, just preaching the gospel is just bring so much joy and peace and love into my life and I know I could help others by doing that through Jesus just using me through the Holy Spirit man and and I've been blessed and it's just this is my purpose and I'm gonna do this forever so yeah yeah if I could just pray Lord Father God just lift up the the service up to you Lord I pray Lord Father God that you just use Pastor Joe Lord Father God and um I pray that worship Lord Father God we praise you Lord that we just uh we give it all to you, Lord, Father God. We humble ourselves before you, Lord. I pray, Lord, Father God, that you keep using us, Lord, Father God, in the streets, Lord, Father God, to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
are my freedom we lift you higher lift you higher your love your love your love never ending oh oh come on everyone put those hands together say you are you are you are you are my freedom we lift you higher lift you higher
of Jesus. Just call on the name of Jesus with me this afternoon. Say, Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we're desperate for you today. Whatever our situation is today, God, Jesus wants to be with you. We call upon your name, Jesus. Because he has everything that you need. And he's standing here today. He's standing here in this room. The Holy Spirit is present right now. And all you 
have to do is do what that man did in the Bible and say, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, this is my need today. Jesus, it's hard for me to sing. It's hard for me to smile today because of my need. But I'm coming to you, Lord, because I know that you care for me. Come on, if that is you today, you have a need. You have a need, and it's hard for you to be here. But right now, Jesus is saying, I'm here. Call out to me. Right now, call out to him. I invite you to call out to Jesus because he cares for you. He loves you. He sees you in your state right now. And he says, I love you. Can you just call out to him right now? Come on, say Jesus. Come on, say Jesus. There's Jesus power when you say the name of Jesus. Can you say it a little bit louder? Say Jesus. Can you say Jesus? Jesus, have mercy, God. Shout out about God, about say. Shout out my God, about God, tell about it. Shout out the name of Jesus today. Shout out about He, tell about God, about say. Jesus, Jesus, there's power when we say the name of Jesus. Can you say this one more time? There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power, power in His name. There is power. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power, power in His name. There is.
your heart belongs to Jesus today, can you give him a hand clap of praise? Come on, all we have is yours, God. We love you in this place. We love you in this place. We love you, Lord. Just want to thank you so much for coming to MPI. We're so excited that you joined us this afternoon for our second service. I want to invite you to just grab a seat right now. We're so thankful that you're here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus. How many of you guys love the presence of God? Don't you just love when he moves and it's when we surrender to him. He does amazing things. Come on, sister knows about this. My name is Rachel. I'm one of the elders here, and it is my privilege this afternoon to preach the gospel to you. Can you say the good news? Say good news. Man, God is good. Um, I want to share the scripture with you, and they're going to put it up on the screen. Um, it's from Colossians 1, 19 through 20. I'm going to read it to you right now. It says, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. How many of you guys know what peace is? Everybody knows what this is. It's got popular... Who knows what the opposite of peace is? It's war, right? I can tell you a couple things about war. My grandmother, she went to be with Jesus when she was 98 years old. So how many of you guys know she's seen a lot in her life? And in talking with her while she was alive, a lot of the things she would tell me was about living in wartime. Living in wartime is not a good place to be. She lived, uh, she was born when the Titanic sank in 1912. And she experienced life in the Philippines during World War II. And in World War II, the Japanese, they came and they invaded the Philippines and they were under occupation of the Japanese under strict rules for about three years. And she was about my age, 30 years old, when that happened to her. And these were the things that she would tell me. During wartime, we were under martial law. You couldn't get out of your house. You couldn't go to the store when you pleased. Your freedoms were taken away. In wartime... You were only rationed a certain amount of food, barely enough to feed your family. And she was one of eight children, okay, growing up. And she had eight children herself. In wartime, you were in danger of having your kids taken or mistreated. As a woman, you're in danger in wartime of being mistreated yourself. In wartime, she didn't know if her husband and my grandpa would come home because sometimes they would take people and send them to labor camps. In wartime is a dangerous place to be. And today, a lot of us are in wartime ourselves. The devil has come and he's taken us prisoner. He's taken us captive. That's what sin does. Sin does what that does to my grandmother. It does that to us. We are prisoners to sin. The Bible says that he who sins is a slave to sin. What sin does, it, it takes you where you don't want to go. It takes away your freedom in Christ. It takes away your freedom to be in a place like this and raise your hands high and experience the freedom of God. That's what sin does. And today, a lot of us are in that freedom, but the good news is, is that what the scripture says, God has sent his son Jesus to reconcile, to bring a right relationship between God and us through who? Through Jesus' blood on the cross. Our freedom cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. 
And the good news today is that you can be reconciled. You can have a right relationship with God today. If you receive Jesus into your heart, you say, I don't want to be a prisoner to sin anymore. I don't want to live in wartime anymore. I don't want to fight God pulling me and I'm pushing back. I don't want to fight anymore, God. I want to surrender my life to you. I want peace with God. You can lay your head down at night and have peace. You can wake up and have peace. You can go to work and live in your family no matter how hard things are in our lives. You can have peace because God is the Prince of Peace. And when you invite him into your life and you can do that today, he brings that peace to you. Amen. Can you stand up to your feet with me? Hallelujah, Jesus. In just a few moments, Steve and Carmen are going to be here at the side. And if you want to make peace with God, if you want to live in peace with him, and have your sins covered in the blood. Um, I want you to come up to these guys um, during our fellowship time, and they're going to pray with you. They're going to walk with you how to live this life of freedom in Jesus with discipleship and prayer. We love you guys, and we invite you to come talk to them in a couple moments. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Father God, I thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you, Lord, that you know them by name. I thank you that you love them. I thank you, Lord God, that the cross is for them today, that you want a right relationship with them, Lord. And I pray that they would reach out to you. They would shout out the name of Jesus and invite you into their hearts today. We thank you for the love and the peace that you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you believe that today, say amen. Amen. Hallelujah. We love you guys so much. In a couple moments on the screen, we're going to say our confession of faith. And we do this every week. And I'm so excited about it because what it is, it's we're speaking into the air what we believe in our hearts. Christians here in Chicago, all over the world, these are the things they believe in. And it's based in the Bible. So we're going to um, confess this together as a family, okay? You ready? One, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father who so loved the world. The Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Hallelujah. Enjoy your time of fellowship. Meet someone you don't know.
this morning. Who's excited to be at church? Come on. So wonderful to see all of your beautiful faces. Thank you for joining us at Metro Praise International. On behalf of all the leadership, we are so excited that you chose us to worship the Lord this morning. Our service is here every Sunday at 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. And then we have Elevate Fridays at 7 p.m. for 11 to 18 year olds. They're doing awesome, rocking it out for Jesus, winning their friends. So if you know anybody in that age group, please invite them to be here on Fridays with us. Our, um, our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people, the two greatest commandments that Jesus gave to us. And we strive to do that with all of our heart. And our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. Look to your neighbor say, it's time to get connected. The way we want to connect you is through our life groups. And the back of your handouts, if you turn it over and check out the schedule, find a place to belong. I really want to encourage you to do that on behalf of all of our leaders. Life groups is where it's at. That's where you get to uh, dig deeper into God's word, build relationships in the church, friendships. You get connected. Get connected to the church. Get connected to Jesus. So we really want to encourage you guys to find a place to call your life group. Here's a snapshot of what's happening just this week starting today. We have our single moms meeting at 5 p.m. The address is right there. Child care is provided. Then Wednesday, we have our King's Kids Life Group for infant to 11 years old. Our boys club, Royal Rangers Boys Club and Impact Girls Club, they meet every week. It's an awesome time for our children. Parents, drop them off at 6.30. Have some free time to yourself. It's powerful. Every Friday, we have two adult Bible studies. One is at the Govea's house. The other one is at the Walker's house. If you don't know who those people are, you can come and ask me after service. We would love to connect you to those life groups. It's 18 years and up. They meet at 7 p.m. The addresses are there. Please invite your friends. Go with somebody. Please go there if you have not so already. That's where you want to be on Friday nights if you're in that age group. It is awesome what God is doing. Saturday, we have our evangelism. That meets every week at 5 p.m. here at the church, and they hit the streets to share their faith with, about Christ with others. And then also this Saturday, we have the Ambassadors Elevate Life Group. Come on. Young people, clap it up if you're an ambassador. 11 to 18 years old, 6 p.m. meeting at the church. Kind of quiet, but that's okay. They were probably in the first service. So that's what's happening. So find a place to connect because then we want to mentor you. We have leaders ready to take you through our 101 book, Welcome to Your New Life. And we want to walk through this journey with you of living for the Lord. When you graduate 101, you'll get into the 201 class, which is our leadership training class. Disciples that make disciples because we want to send you to keep winning souls for Christ. And our goal at MPI is to have 100,000 disciples with 50 churches in Chicago and 500 around the world. If you believe we can do that by God's grace, say amen. Look to your neighbor, say you're a part of that number. We're all in it together. Who's excited to learn about tithes and offerings this morning? Come on. We're in the Disciples book, the Disciples giving book, sorry. Section three, all about stewardship. Lesson two, stewards are committed to God. We're going to be reading in Proverbs 16.3. You can turn there or you can follow along. Proverbs 16.3. But I want to read to you the definition of stewardship. Stewardship is the wise management of everything God has entrusted us with. How many of you guys know that we have to manage 
everything in our life that has been given to us by God. And really everything good is from the Lord. So we have to manage it. We have to steward it well so we can give him glory. Let's read in Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Here are the main three points from that verse. Number one, commit to the Lord. To commit something to God literally means to roll them over to his care. The picture in the Hebrew language is like someone giving their burdens to someone else to carry. Concerning your finances, we should roll them onto God because he is able to care for us. It is so much better for uh, for us to let somebody else carry something that's extremely heavy, is it not? Would you rather carry uh, a ton, uh, one ton of groceries, or would you rather have somebody else carry that one ton of groceries for you? Can you imagine carrying one ton? It's better to let somebody else carry it. And, and the big scheme of things, when it comes to our life, when it comes to finances, commit them to the Lord. Let God establish your plans. Let him carry the load. Amen? Number two, whatever you do, we should commit everything in our life to God, not just salvation. Some people just give God the bad days, but we should entrust God with paydays, bill days, and everything in between. Can I get an amen? amen? Everything in our life revolves around the Lord. If we give him full control, if we commit our ways to him, whatever we do, he will have full reign, and we will have a life of peace, and we will be able to trust him when things get tough. When bills have to be paid, on the paydays, everything in between, we give him the glory. So we trust him in every area of our life. Number three, he will establish your plans. God wants to bless you more than you could ever imagine, but he will never do it at the expense of his kingdom. Therefore, ask God to bless your plans for his glory. Here's a summary. Roll all your financial plans onto God and let him establish your goals and dreams. Because with God, everything is so much better. Here's the application number one. Be faithful in giving your tithes, which is 10% of your total income, and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, entrust all you do financially to God's wisdom and commands. We need his wisdom. We need to follow his commands concerning our finances because everything flows from what God tells us to do. Number three, ask God to establish your financial plans for his kingdom. Let's recite this over our life on the count of three together. Here's our confession. One, two, three. God has called us to be managers that are committed to stewarding whatever gifts we have received from him. We are to be wise, fruitful, faithful, trustworthy, multiplying, and shrewd stewards, living debt-free and generous lives, providing an inheritance for our children and grandchildren. If you can, please stand with me to your feet this morning. We are going to prepare to give God our best, our tithe, and our offering. We want it to be brought before him as a gift. Again, here at Metro Praise International, we believe that a tithe is a 10% of our total income, and anything above that is an offering, which we designate towards missions and building. And currently, we are in a building fund raising monies for our lit up Metro Praise International Church sign to be hung right across the building here. So we thank you for your generosity. Thank you for partnering with us to make happen what God wants to have happen in Chicago and throughout the nations. We have a uh, convenient for you as well. We have two options for giving through card. We have online giving as well as in the back. If you have any questions about that, you can see me before or after service. Let's recite this verse together t uh, this morning. Luke 6, 38. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. 
For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you're doing in our life. We thank you, God, for entrusting us to be managers, to be stewards for your kingdom. And I pray that we would do it wisely. Everything that you've given to us, God, we want to manage it so that it could bring you glory. I pray that you bless the gift and the giver this morning. May it multiply so that we could win Chicago for you and the nations for you, that your gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Please come forward as you give this morning, and thank you so much for your generosity. Amen. How many love Jesus? Can I get a whoop, whoop? Good morning, good morning. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to make sure next time you guys come in here, this is going to be like a wind tunnel, okay? So I'm going to add some fans in this place. I know most of you are pretty cool right now because you're dressed good, but I just want to let you know I'm going to be adding a few fans. How many are happy that it's hot rather than cold right now? Are you guys cool with that? Or would you rather have it be cold? Any weirdies? No? Are you guys happy it's summer and shy? So let's not complain, right? Because it can get really cold fast. And uh, I know somebody's like, summer's almost over, but I don't even want to think about that right now. I don't even want to think about that. If you got your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, let me know by saying I'm there. If not, say hold up. Wait a minute, put a little love in it. Hold up, wait a minute. I don't know if you all remember that. That's an old school song. But it's a Christian old school song, so you got to be Christian old school to know that. There's like another one like, hold up, wait a minute. But that, that was a little different. Anyways, okay, Ephesians chapter 2, if everybody is now turned there, say I'm there. Okay, because I really want you guys to be there. Just don't take our word for it up here. I want you guys to follow along in your Bible. By the way, we're in the book of Ephesians, the whole summer of grace. That's what our sermon series is, and if you've missed any past messages, check out the website. And the real good thing about Ephesians is that it's a book of grace. And so I don't know if you like to listen to things while you take walks on your commutes or driving. This is what you want to do. Go to your Bible app, put on the book of Ephesians. Remember, we, we did that before I sat down, we played it. So it works, trust me, Android, you know, iPhone, I'm not going to do it again. But I want you to see some cool things about Ephesians. So go ahead and put up Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2 and just hold your guys a spot where you're at but I want you to see the book of Ephesians is a book of grace it starts and finishes literally on grace that is what it's about you know what guys let me oh yeah you're good you're fat man who did that you are fast were you there in the first service no I need you on both services now dude you are like the fastest like the fastest uh Bible gun around. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 1. Look where it starts off. Paul's greeting everybody. Verse 2. What does it say right here? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I'll just do it from here. So first chapter, second verse, it's all about what? What is it all about? Grace. Thank you. And then now look at Ephesians chapter 6. You guys don't have to turn there because I'm I'm a pretty fast Bible gun myself. I can get there. Look at the last verse right here. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 24 says grace. Everybody say grace. 
grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So literally, start to finish, everything in between, grace. Everybody say grace. Thank you. So now we're at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I want us all to read together today, okay? I want us to do it out loud, and I'm going to walk around and put the mic up in some of your guys' faces because I want you guys to boldly read it, okay? You all ready? That means you've got to be excited to read this on a count of three. One, two, three, four it is. Grace. Grace, you have been. What is the gift of God? Y'all got off. Let's start again. Y'all got off. Y'all got off a little bit. My brother right here, I got in your way. I give you that excuse right there. Let's start again. One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. Come on. Of God. So that no one can boast. God's handiwork created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And everybody said, amen. amen. So it's by grace we have been saved. So today's message is the power of grace. I want you guys to learn about the power of grace. Now, each week I have been adding a new insight to this passage as we go through because I don't want it to get boring to you. So the way I'd like to do that today is to add some new definitions to grace. So you guys remember the G-R-A-C-E definition, God's riches at Christ's expense. G-R-A-C-E. Everybody say, God's riches at Christ's expense. One more time, God's riches at Christ's expense. So you guys know that. And then uh, the big definition I gave you was from another book, and it basically focused on the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. But today I'm quoting another book and a summarization of that because I want to give you more insight into grace. So look at this definition. I'll just read it out. I want you to see another way of looking at grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. We've been talking about that. You know, forgiveness, we don't deserve it. God has mercy on us, love. But watch this. And it's help and enablement. Everybody say help and enablement. See, now this is a new aspect I want to talk about today. We talk about God's power of grace, the power of grace. It's not just favor, it's not just love, it's help and enablement made available through Jesus Christ and given to believers by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now watch this, because of God's grace, we can experience His mercy and forgiveness. It hasn't that been thus far what I've talked about in the series? We talked last week about the throne of what? The throne of grace, and there we receive mercy, we receive help. We talked about you know that for two weeks, and then the time before that, the person of grace, Jesus Christ, helping us, being there for us, giving us forgiveness. And then I talked two whole weeks just on grace itself. So we've had about five lessons on grace, and they've all been focused on his mercy and forgiveness. But this is what we're going to focus on. Everybody say power. Now look at this. Because of God's grace, we can experience mercy, forgiveness, and the what? power to fulfill God's purposes for our lives. So today, I want you to look at this passage and think about God's grace saving you is God's power saving you. And God's power is still in you. Grace didn't just save you and go leave and just like go away. Grace is still in you because the Holy Spirit is still in you. And the Holy Spirit wants you to have power so that you can live the life that God wants you to live. Now that was from the Fire Study Bible, which is a very cool study Bible to get. You can get it in digital form or you can have it like in your hand, Fire, a fire Study Bible. Here is the summary 
summary of that, what I just came up with, God's grace is his divine influence. Uh, God's grace is rather his divine influence empowering us. Everybody say empowering us to live his amazing life. So turn with me to John 10.10 and think about amazing life. God has an amazing life for us. From the front row to the back row, God's got an amazing life for you. Now it's totally up to you whether or not you want to enter into it. If you and I don't enter into God's amazing life and our life is not amazing, it's lame, whose fault is that? That's our fault. Now think of it like this. An amazing life doesn't mean we don't face troubles because sometimes, you know, when I'm talking like this, people will be like, Pastor, how can I have an amazing life? You know, my father has cancer or someone I love just passed away, you know, and then there's Christians around the world. They're suffering persecution. How can that be an amazing life? Well, here's the thing. Number one, an amazing life doesn't come from amazing things in the world. An amazing life comes from an amazing God. And as a matter of fact, some of those who are facing the most troubling times right now are having the most amazing love in life right now. You know why? Because because they're looking to God for their hope. Those who are dying in persecution, they're not depressed like some people in America are depressed because they didn't get a paycheck or a, ra a raise on their paycheck. You know, these guys getting beheaded, they're going there singing hymns unto God. And sometimes you can't even get people to sing hymns here. Some of our church history talks about when they were setting them on fire, literally setting them on fire. Christians for their faith. They were singing praise unto God as their bodies were being burned. There was a story about um, Richard Warmbrandt being locked up in the Romanian jail cells as communism came in. They would only feed him one time a day and they would torture him and they would leave him in this cell and he would sing out to God and God would fill his heart with a sense of his love that he had never felt before that time. Some of the people that I know who have faced cancer and hardship, the loss of their family members, my mom watching uh, or losing uh, her daughter, my sister, to drinking and driving. Some of the people that I have known that have faced the most difficult times have had the ama most amazing faith and love that I've ever seen. So don't make the assumption that adversity means I can't have an amazing life. No, God's empowering you through adversity to grow and to become all that he wants you to be. And remember, what you face here is only temporary. What you face here is only just for a fleeting shadow. It's just a breath. It's just a grass, a blade of grass that goes away and dies. So what you face here, if you do it for God, will last for eternity. So all of these enemies that hate on you, if you have enemies that hate on you, when you forgive them, you get eternal rewards. The Bible says you get eternal rewards. So all the hating that they're doing to you, you're actually storing up treasure every time you forgive them. Every time you do a good work and a good deed, when you've been mistreated, the Bible says you're storing up heavenly treasures. That's why the Bible says, blessed are you when they persecute you and say all kinds of evil about you, because that's what they did about the prophets before them. Great's your reward in heaven. And then he says in another place, that's what they've said about me. So even in the times of persecution, hardship, we can see God's amazing life. Now, for the rest of us, most of us here are not facing code red problems in our life. As a matter of fact, the devil's not messing with us in our test. Most of us here are not having a code red test. As those in life, in, in your life, you may go through a code red test and 
Try to see if this comes true in your life. I think you'll get closer to God. I know that uh, Steve's mother, you've gotten closer to God through your accident, haven't, haven't you? Now, most of us, we would fear falling off of a motorcycle going how many miles an hour? 160. She fell off of a motorcycle. She has lost some of her limbs. She's going through uh, recovery, re rehab, but she has seen a newfound love for life. See, that's a living testimony right there. You see, so you may think, man, I could never go through that. Well, where is her strength coming from? God. And you may not think you can go through hard times either, but God will give it to you. But for the rest of us, have you fallen off of a motorcycle, young ladies, going 160 miles an hour? Have you lost a limb? No. But the problems you face in life seem so big. And what I'm wanting to tell you is that your problems aren't really so big compared to God. You see, those of us who face real problems in life can give us encouragement and say, if they can do it, how much more can we do it? Because in God's mind, the problems are never too big for him. You know, sometimes, like, you know, Nancy was talking about, uh, you know, carrying a 1,000 tons of groceries. I know that example seems a little silly, and it's a lot harder up here to come up with examples, as you are a pastor, I'm telling you. So I feel a little compassion for it, but I can actually get my wife's back. Think about this. Imagine if someone said to you, you are responsible for going to the garden, planting the seed, growing the crop, getting the food, preparing it every single day, and the only food you can eat for your family is the food you grow. Most of us here would be terrified, like, oh, my gosh, if someone said to me, I can only feed my family what my hands grow, we would all be terrified. But how many know our families used to live like that? Most of all of our cultures, we all go back to a farm. Polish, back to a farm. A few generations. Italians, back to a farm. How many of your ancestors, you can just go back so many generations, we're, we are living on a farm. Now, unless you were a part of an industrialized culture from like way back, maybe your people have already been in, in a major city, just go back a thousand years. We were all on farms. And the thing was, we knew how to plant and grow, plant and grow. But now in the city, I say this, Isaiah, you can only eat what you plant and grow. You get all intimidated. But you trust a farmer to do that. You trust a farmer. You trust a grocery store to bring you a 1,000 tons of grocery on a semi-truck to your doorstep. Now, what is my point in this? My point is what was a trial in your mind has already been taken care of by other generations and is being taken care of by somebody now. You just don't understand it. And the thing is with grace, people have already gone through troubles in life. People have already lived and died. Think about that. Christians have already lived and died. There has been a young person that already came and gone from Chicago. You know, they started off maybe like in the 1950s, and then the Humble Park area, it was real bad in the 70s and 80s. They were old-timer, and they're like 80 years old, whatever that makes them now, and they're past. They're gone. They've gone through all their temptation. All of those things have been done, and the same grace that's available for them is available for you. You see, you can find an amazing life right now if you find Jesus. And an amazing life is not a life without adversity. It's holding on to Jesus through the adversities. Just because you get groceries now doesn't mean somebody didn't have to plan it somewhere along the line. Just because you're going through a trial now doesn't mean that God hasn't brought people through trials. That is my point. Do not forget that God has already been faithful. He's already been faithful. He's already proven it, right? It's already been proven. Billy Graham, proven. God kept him, kept his marriage. You want to see a healthy marriage? Look at men and women of God who have held healthy marriages. Don't listen to the person with three divorces and say, let me tell you how to have a good marriage. No, I don't think so. Uh, you haven't had it work after three times. Let me talk to the person who's not been divorced. Now, some, not to, not to hurt on, you know, people, you know, hate on people who've had divorces. Yeah, you can maybe share with us some things that we haven't experienced. But how many know it's better not to learn that way but to learn doing the good things? 
I'm glad that there's those of you here that learn never to do drugs, and you didn't have to do drugs like me not to do to learn not to do it. You're right. That's a better way. Amen. Everybody say a better way. Look at this. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Never let the devil play a trick with you and confuse what he does to what God does. You see, a lot of times things die in our lives. Things get stolen from our life. And I'm not just talking about material things. Like peace gets stolen from our life. Joy gets stolen. People around us die. Things go bad. And you know what the devil does? He points to God and says, it's his fault. Look at God. See, he could have stopped that. God could have helped you. No, see, the devil's such a liar. See, the devil wants to play tricks and make us think that Jesus is the bad person. But understand this, it's not Jesus' fault that people have died. It's not Jesus' fault that people have hurt you. It's because we listened to the devil, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden and released evil upon this earth. And if somebody said, well, why doesn't God get rid of evil? You know what God would have to do to get rid of evil? He would have to get rid of you, then you, then you, then you, then you, and you, and you, and you. Because you're all, and me, because we're all a product of evil. Is anybody here perfect? So if God was to get rid of evil, he would have to get rid of people. So instead of getting rid of people, how did God handle the problem of evil? Sent Jesus on the cross to die for evil. Jesus died for sins. Jesus came to redeem, not to condemn. So those who get upset with God because evil happens are not looking the right direction. The right direction is Jesus has redeemed us from evil, and the devil's time is only short-lived on this earth, and we have a choice. Do we fall for his tricks? Do we allow this to define our lives, or do we allow what Jesus has come to do to define our life? The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have what? Everybody say life. And you, let me show you something really cool here. You want to know what that, and if you know, don't shout it out. But you want to know what here, what that Greek word for life is? You know, the Bible was originally written in Greek. So let me show you the, uh, the word here for life. The word there for life is a very special name to me. What is that name? Zoe. That is the name for life. That is why we named our uh, daughter Zoe. So you see, Jesus said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have Zoe, the everlasting, abundant life of God, and have it to the full. So I want you to think about this definition as we get into today's sermon, the power of grace. The power of grace is not just for forgiveness and mercy. It's the power to fulfill God's purposes in your life. It is divine influence. Now, I want you to think about what divine influence would look like in your life. So I got five categories I'm going to go through right here. It's not in the notes, so just follow along with me. Five categories of what grace and power looks like. Because I don't want you just to walk out of here and be like, oh, that was a cool sermon. We learned about a lot of scriptures, but I don't know how to make it practical. Everybody say, make it plain. I'm going to talk to you about fathers. I'm going to talk to you about mothers. I'm going to talk to you about husbands. Talk to you about wives. Talk to you about being single, no matter what age you are, because we have a lot of older singles here. And then lastly, six rather, I'm going to talk to you about being young. Any young people here today? Okay. You guys are the quietest in church now. It's all right. I know how you are. I know how you are. Y'all being a little hypocritical, aren't you? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I just caught you in the eye. So sorry. Don't tell your mom because she's watching me on that. What she don't know, don't hurt her though, right? Because he was like, you pointed at people. Stop pointing at people. I might hit them in the eye. And I'm like, no, I can do without hitting in the eye. And then you just like turned right there. It's like, bing. But this thing has changed my life. That's another story. 
Everybody say fathers. Okay, let me help you see this. What do I think the power of grace looks like in a father's life? What do I think that looks like? What, the, what I think that looks like is leadership. Leadership. The father comes to God, looks at himself in the mirror, and says, Lord, make me the kind of man my children can follow. And then grace through the wisdom of God, through the Bible and the Holy Spirit, teaches the father leadership. Many fathers have never had a father lead them. We are growing up in a fatherless generation. I don't have time to get into it, but the redefinition of marriage, the number one attack is on the image of God, and the second attack on that, because God said he made man and woman complementary in his image. Man alone, the male, is not the only one made in God's image. Go back to Genesis. It says he made them male and female. He made them plural in his image. So the redefinition of marriage is taking away the plurality of God's nature seen in humanity. God is truly seen in the complementary relationships of male and female. That's the first problem. The second problem with the redefinition of marriage is the losing of a father. Two women cannot be a father and two dads cannot be one father. God has orchestrated a single father like we have one father to lead the family of earth. He has made one father to lead a family on, on the earth. God leads heaven and earth as one singular father, and he has made fathers to lead in the home, singular. And that singular father is to be a representative of him. That is why they share the same name. When God identifies himself in the Bible, he could have chose anything. He could have called himself the big turkey in the sky. He could have called himself a lollipop. He, I'm just whatever random thing that can come to my mind right now. He could have called himself that, but he called himself father, not fathers, singular, father. Are you with me? And so what does grace, the power of grace, look like in a father's life? Leadership. Now, how do leaders lead in the kingdom of God? By domineering, stomping their feet and demanding? No, the Bible says the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Fathers, God wants to empower you with his grace empower you to be a leader so that when you feel like giving up, he'll give you motivation. There's a picture of a, of a dude working out, and he's about ready to fall on his push-up, and it's got a little man next to him, and it's like a meme that said, somebody's watching, don't give up. But it's so much more than just staying in shape. Leadership is going to work, fathers, and providing for your family. It's watching the words that you speak. You know, if you're highly critical, your children will grow up highly critical. If you're a positive person, your children will grow up with a positive outlook. You're leading and framing how they're going to be as adults from the moment they're in the womb. There's even a video right now of a father, I believe it's a father, speaking to the child in the womb, and it's moving. Leaders, leaders are fathers, and fathers are leaders. Next one, mothers. What I think the power of grace looks like in mothers is compassion. 
It's compassion. Now, mothers, don't get me wrong. I know there's so many other things that you do. And, and of course, I could preach a whole sermon series of the power of grace in mothers, okay? And I probably wouldn't preach it. I'd have my wife preach it because I don't know a lot about being a mother. But I can say this. As I watch my wife and I watch mothers in this church and the mothers that I've known in my life, the greatest attribute I see in them, that God empowers them, it's a divine influence in their life, is compassion. When I was in juvenile jail and we would have visitation, how many fathers do you think I saw at visitation? Maybe one or two, hardly any. But how many do you think had a mother show up? It was always the mothers. Because mothers have a unique aspect of compassion that men can't even relate to. And I love my children. My wife is my witness on the way here. Because of the wedding we were at yesterday, watching the daddy-daughter dance, me and my wife got talking about it, and it was that Cinderella song with uh, Curtis Chapman. I know something that uh, the prince doesn't know or whatever, whatever that song is. We were talking about it. She played it in the van ride here this morning, and I bawled like a baby. She's my witness. But I can still tell you, the compassion of a mother goes deeper than a father. It's something in that nine months when the womb is knit together with the mother's body and the child is in there and she feels literally the heartbeat and she knows that she's caring for another life. But listen to me, all good mothers can get to their wit's end or to their last straw or to their last nerve or as my wife likes to say, you don't want to mess with me today. Today ain't that day. How many mothers can relate to those kind of things? How many have you ever heard your mother say that? You don't want to mess with me. When I hear Nancy say that, I'm like, kids, go outside. They're like, it's snowing. I'm like, you just get out there right now. Trust me. Trust me. Get behind me. You want to run. I'll stand and guard you. Because when Nancy says, don't mess with me today, I can't take it no more. And, and my beautiful wife says that. I know you don't think nice Nancy would ever say that. But when I hear Nancy say, I can't take any more of that today, I'm like, y'all better evacuate. That is code red. The lights are going off. You better run. See, so mothers, the power of grace in your life looks like compassion, where you keep it under control. You know why? Because if you're always short with them, if you're always quick-tempered with them, then you can't blame them for being quick-tempered with their siblings, quick-tempered with their teachers, or quick-tempered in life, and they'll learn that from their mother. They'll learn grace under pressure from their mothers. See, we, we, we need to look to mothers and see them handling things. Though they need help, they have to show us that they've got it under control. But we're not, we're not naive. Yes, mothers, you have troubles and all that. But where do you bring your troubles to? Mothers, you bring it to God. And God gives you grace. And that's what it looks like. Compassion even when you don't feel like it. Because I know Nancy doesn't feel like getting up. You know, we've been in diapers six years, four children, six years, nonstop, six years, middle of the night, six years, all the time. But she don't quit. Why? God's given her that power. Somebody say, husbands. What I think grace under power looks, uh, the power of grace, it looks like in husband's life, and a husband's life is sacrifice. I think God gives husbands sacrifice as an attribute. See, I meet husbands all the time that complain about their marriage. But as I hear the other side of the story, the wife is usually saying, I don't mean to nag. It's just that he's not there when I need him. I don't, I don't mean to blow up his phone. He just doesn't check in with me. I, I don't mean to always get on him about this. It's just he's not doing what he once did. 
And you see, husbands, I can relate to this. Now this is a place I could talk about all day. See, husbands, I understand what it's like to work 8 hours, 10 hours, 12 hours and come home and want to rest and want to have your private moment to kick back, watch the game, do something you enjoy, mentally process what you just went through. But you have to understand that there's a reasonable request that your family wants. And you know what? Your family wants your presence. You can't check out all the time. You have to be there. And trust me, I know it's a sacrifice. But God will give you the power to do that. Now let me just say this. It is true that husbands, we do need our time. And I think that it's fair for you to set up systems and, and, and just order in your home. Maybe if you could just say to your wife, hey, when I come home, just give me the first 15 minutes to take off my shoes, shower, sit in the bed for a minute, and then I'll come down and be present. That's cool. Wives, you should understand that, right? But it's when they always check out. It's when they're never coming. Husbands, you're going to have what you don't want, and that's a broken family. And so what does it take, husbands, to be present when you don't feel like being present? Take sacrifice. Now, who demonstrates the grace of sacrifice? Jesus. See, Jesus showed us what it, what it looks like when you do something that you don't feel like doing. You may not feel like going to church, but husbands, you should be leading your wives to church. See, that's sacrifice. Husbands, you may not want to take out the garbage, and in your mind, she could pick it up just like you. She's got two arms, and after all, don't women want to be equal now? I get it. But you see, you doing that shows you care about the house. And it doesn't matter how much money you make, and it doesn't matter how many times you've done it before. By you sacrificing day to day to day, you're giving your wife another reason to call you poppy. Another reason for her to look up to you as her hero. Because no matter how romantic you are with your wife, she still wants you to be part of what her dad was in her life. No matter how romantic we are with each other, and it's not gross, I'm not trying to cross lines, it's just every woman desires these two things, respect and security. And if she grew up in a good home, she knew what it was like for her dad to always respect her and treat her as a lady and make her feel secure. Can I get an amen, wives? Wives, what does it look like? What does it look like? For me, what it looks like, wives, is you being flexible. Now you may say, Pastor, that's a, that's a little bit unfair, you know, especially if you're already a mother, but I'm going to try to speak to wives who are not mothers, but just, you know, let me hear some of this kick, let me, you know, go through some of this kickback. You may say, Pastor, that's, that's not fair. I, I'm always on my children's schedule. I'm always on my boss's schedule. I'm always on somebody else's schedule. Why are you telling me grace looks like flexibility? I just want someone to help me. But, but you see, wives, God has called you to be a helpmate. And you've got to be flexible to your husband's schedule. You've got to be flexible to follow and to serve. You see, just as much, wives, as you want respect and security, just as much as you want to be honored in that way, your husband wants to be served. 
You know, so often I've, I've said to my wife in our, in our difficult times, because we have difficult times, and, and it's not always my fault, by the way, but we do have difficult times. And, and, and sometimes Nancy will be crying because she doesn't feel respected. She doesn't feel loved, and tears are coming down her eyes. And I'll say right back to her, I say, I may not be crying right now, but I feel hurt too because you're not following my lead. You're not shifting gears with me. You're not on the same page, and that hurts me too. So when my wife is flexible, she says, okay, honey, you want dinner at 6? I thought it was at 5, but I see you're tired now. Okay, I'll put it in the oven, and we'll eat at 6, and I won't complain about it. Oh. See, you get quiet when I talk like that. See, because that's being flexible. It's being flexible. Okay, honey, I know that we planned a date night Tuesday, but your boss called you in, and you don't normally break our date nights, but I'll be flexible. See, husbands, we don't get permission to do that often, but we, we should pull out cards sometimes when we need to. And sometimes our wives may not understand, but they, they need to. Now, it goes back to that other side. Husbands, if you're always late at work, if you're always missing dinner, if you're always saying, give me a guy night, then what you're doing is you're always making withdrawals, but you're not making deposits. But ladies, hear me on this. If you could be flexible, I think the nagging goes away. And that's what the power of grace looks like. Because no wife means to be a nag, and no husband means to be lazy. But if husbands would be leaders and fathers, and, and, if, and if wives and, and mothers would be compassionate and flexible, you see, we could work together in the family. Now, you may think that's tough, but that's why we need the power of grace. The power of grace has helped my wife be flexible to my life and has allowed her to follow my lead. And it's not always easy to follow somebody like me. Let me go to singles. Let me say singles. Now, this could be anybody's age. The power of grace may look different in your life, but you know what I think singles need to be? They need to be whole. Power of grace means you're whole. Think about wholeness as completeness. It doesn't matter what age you're at. You may have gone through a divorce. You may have been a single mom. It doesn't matter. But you see, now that you're a single, God wants you to be totally content being with him so that as you are serving him in the kingdom, he can bring you somebody that's complimentary towards you, not somebody that has to come and fix you. You see, if you're single and you need to be fixed, you'll always be let down. And some of the older singles can relate to this. You have found yourself repeating the same relationship but with different people. And the reason is, is because you haven't become a different person. When you become a whole person, you will learn wholeness in others. We call it maturity. When you're mature, but see, I use wholeness instead of maturity because a lot of us will just say maturity is I pay my bills and do this. No, I know a lot of people who pay their bills, have a good job, but they're still not whole. They're incomplete. So it's more than maturity, but maturity is a part of it. So young people, or, or rather singles, singles, not just young, older or young, it doesn't matter, singles. Everybody say singles. I'm going to give you some attributes of grace today, but what I think it looks like in a single person's life is wholeness. So you're not jealous of others getting in a relationship because you're okay. You don't need to go into a bad relationship to make yourself feel at home in your own skin because you love yourself whether or not anybody else affirms that. You're whole. You're complete. And young people, everybody say, what, what? Now, this would be not just young in mind, but this would be 18 years and younger. If you're a young person, 
You know what I think grace and the power of grace looks like in your life? Submission. Submission. I know that we may fall on different lines of this police, uh, you know, debate over whether or not they're doing the right thing or whatever. But I just have to tell you my personal opinion. I love what this one African-American said. He said, all of these videos have one thing in common, at least the ones we've seen. Somebody is resisting arrest. Somebody is resisting arrest. Now, I'm not saying they're justified in what they're doing after that point. I've watched the pool party one. I've watched the one in New York and the guy get choked to death. I've watched the shooting of the homeless man. But I have to be honest, as your pastor, young person, I never saw the person stop running. I didn't see the pool party person say, what do you want me to do, officer? I saw them cussing at the officer. Now, you may think in your mind, I'm going to fight the system. I'm going to fight my parents. I'm going to have this rebellious attitude. But I want to tell you something. You fighting authority will never work. There's ways to change bad authority. And God gave us a way to do it. He said, pray for your enemies. In another place, he said, lead by example. And in another place, he said, give to Caesars what is, give to Caesar what is Caesars. They pull you over. They ask you to do something. Do it. Let justice take its course. I was just in the Lawndale community. There are lawyers with the Lawndale Christian Community Center that will defend people that have been done wrong, but they have to be alive to be defended. And you see, it's just that example of these videos I see going around and a lot of young people looking at their rappers and looking at the, you know, the Dennis, uh, not the Dennis Rodmans, that's my generation, uh, looking at whatever that guy's name is from the heat. What's that guy's name? LeBron James. And these are our heroes. But you know what I don't see? These stars of young people. Now, you got to be under 18 to get this. But I don't see any of them teaching you submission. I don't see any of them teaching you the value of obeying your parents. It always blew my mind when they would bring in Little Wayne, because I was in New Orleans for seven years. The Hot Boys were from the Melphamine Projects, and Master P was from the Calio Projects. It would always blow my mind when I would talk to the students, and they would say, oh, today was so cool. We had Master P come in. And I'm like, what in the world would Master P tell you? What, would, what could he possibly tell you? But you see that this is that false, false version of doing good that the schools prop up to you. See, at the same time, the school may agree with me. Yeah, listen, obey your teachers. But then they'll say, you know, find the best you that you can be. And they point back to yourself as you are the reason you should be this kind of person. And see, that's why they relate to a Master P, because Master P is a self-centered person, and he teaches selfishness. Like, let me just give you an example. How many of you here would say, I want to have my children be just like little Wayne? How many of you would say, I want? But yet, we would say, well, if my kids could make money and be happy, maybe they could do something like little Wayne. They try to apply it that way. But you can't stretch it. It's still selfishness. And so, young people, submission. Obey your parents. Well, if my parents don't go to church, listen to them. 
You know, the number one way that my parents knew that I was changed is when I started obeying them and listening to them. It wasn't even that I read my Bible and all of that. They knew I was changed when I obeyed them. As a matter of fact, it's a funny story, but it's true. When I first got saved, I was in a junior college, and uh, I was writing a paper, and I wasn't good at it, so I knew this one girl liked me, and I said, hey, do you feel like coming over to my house and helping me write my paper? So literally, she ended up coming to my house at 2 in the morning, and she was writing out my paper. Well, here was the problem. I had forgotten what it was like to live with my parents because I was always on drugs. I was always on my own. I was a high school dropout at 16. So you could just kind of imagine this scene. I'm living at home now. I got a girl typing out my paper at 2 in the morning. My mom is like this quintessential mom coming up out of the bed, you know, like with stuff in her eyes, curls in her, you know, the curling stuff in her hair, robot. And she walks into my room and she's like, what are you doing? Because my mom's a Christian mom. And she's like, what are you doing? 2 in the morning. Why is this woman at your computer? You see, I didn't know, I didn't know that I was disrespecting her rules because I had been so filled with the world. And so over time, I began to realize, like, man, obedience to my parents, obedience to curfew, obedience to rules shows that I'm a dignified young person. And you know when my mom said that she knew that God really changed my attitude is when I came home from school and without her telling me as a 19-year-old, I just went and started doing the dishes. It was like, we're done with dinner. Oh, yeah, I'm just going to do the dishes. Submission. Those are the things that I think we should look at as we go into this message. How many are ready for the message? Amen. I want you to look here with me now to the seven aspects of God's grace. The good thing is for this summer, uh, at least for these couple of weeks, I'm going to be ending early at uh, 2.45. So, guys, I'm only going to go through three of these, and we'll go through the, uh, the rest next week. But let's go through these seven aspects of the power of God's grace and see how they apply. How does it apply to mothers? Well, Make it personal. How does it apply to fathers? How does it apply to young people? How does grace empower me to be the kind of person God wants me to be? See it holistically and apply it and watch it change your life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let's start with number one. It's the most basic and obvious, but yet the most important. Power for eternal life. Go to Romans 5.17. God's grace empowers salvation. You see, I was saved November 5th, 1995, but God is still saving me from myself. God is still saving me from temptation to get upset with my temper. In salvation, I have to make a determination to walk in God's strength. Everybody say, reign in righteousness. Watch this blow your mind right here. Look at this, verse 17 of, of oh no, here, let me get it for us, please. Let me, can I get it from here? I'll, I'm just going to switch back and forth, and I think I should do just fine. There we go. Okay. Turn with me to Romans 5, 17. If you're already there, somebody say I'm there. All right, y'all, quick. Look, read it if you're already there, and, and tell me if that doesn't just blow your mind. Get a head start. Check it out. Reign in righteousness. Reign in righteousness. Now, look at this right here. For if by the trespass of the one man, talking about Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace? How much uh, grace does God have? An abundant provision. Amen. Everybody say abundant provision. God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. How does God want us to go through life? We're to what? Reign in life through the gift of what? Righteousness. That's the power of grace for salvation every day. 
you are to reign in righteousness. When you think of reigning as a king, if I said, you're going to be a king now, you're going to reign over this country, what would you think of? Power, authority, right? Well, when Jesus says you're going to reign in life and righteousness, what does that mean? You're going to have authority over the devil. You're going to have control over your own thoughts. You're going to be able to live a different kind of life. You are saved, and now you're going to be saved from every wicked thing. You have authority. You know, when we watch horror movies and, you know, you see all these scary things, people are running away, and, ah, you know, you know what's something? When Jesus came to town, demons screamed, ah, and they ran away. Why? Because he ran reigned in righteousness. God wants us to reign in righteousness here. We should be above the peasantry of wickedness. We're called to be kings and priests in the kingdom of God, reigning in righteousness. Our life should be so distinguishable, so different from the world around us that they should see the glory of God. They should see us living righteous. Salvation has saved you from going to work tomorrow with a terrible attitude. That's the power of grace. Go to your job tomorrow reigning in righteousness. So what does that look like on your job? A good attitude. How many of you have the joy of the Lord right now? Why don't you tell your face? If you tell your face, what are you going to do? You're going to smile. Smiling is an evidence of a happy emotion or somebody being fake. But let's be real. How many got the joy of the Lord on the inside? Then let your face know. Come on, let your coworkers know. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where down in my heart? Where down in my heart? And if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch, sit on attack. Come on. You see, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The righteousness of God in me empowers me to reign in life. You look at the stories of the Bible, sometimes like Joseph, doing the right thing, got him thrown into prison, but he still reigned in prison. If you suffer for righteousness, you will still reign in this life because God will not fail at his word. No matter where you go in life, no matter what they try to take from you, they can never take your character. They can never take the righteousness of God inside of you. Now, some of you right here, you would say, you, you'd say, Pastor, I agree with that. Of course I agree with that. But then if I begin to ask you, would you make small compromises for more money? Would you make more compromises for more um, prestige on your job? I guarantee you, if you were being honest, some of you would say, well, maybe. Well, maybe. Where do you think small compromises end up? They end up the same place. Big compromises end up. They end up in death. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. See, I would rather have God promote me than try to promote myself. I would rather have a little and be happy than have a lot and be against God. Reigning in righteousness to me means having the right mindset of God. It means I'm going to be positive wherever I go and I'm going to speak the words of life. I'm not going to let stinking thinking bring me down. I'm going to be like an eagle flying high, not hanging out with the chickens down here. Reigning in life is what God called us to do. I want to reign in life, don't you? I don't just want it on Sunday when I'm holding the microphone. I'm talking about every day of my life. I want to have an awareness that God's called me to a better way. What does that look like, fathers? See, that's where you got to make it real. Husbands, what does that look like? What does reigning in righteousness look like when you go home today? Mothers, 
singles, young people. See, that's what I'm talking about. How do you apply these things? We can't say that God hasn't given us the power. We can't say that God hasn't given us the way. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 23, the Bible says he leads us in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So that means as we're walking through life, think about this, having inner dialogue with ourselves. How many of you think to yourself? That is a disappointing hand raise for a question right there. Okay, let's, okay, let me, okay, thinking. How many know what thinking is? Okay, how many know what yourself is? Let me put those two together. How many of you think to yourself? Is there anybody here that doesn't think to themselves? I really want to pray for you right now. I want to help you think and live a healthy mental life. Let's just, now that I'm questioning how awake you guys are right now, think to yourself something clean and then tell your neighbor what you were thinking about. What were you thinking about? Why don't you tell me? What were you just thinking about? Food? What, do you, what kind of food? Mexican food. All right. Come on. See, we're all thinking. See, the gift of righteousness, uh, or rather the provision of grace, gives us the gift of righteousness to reign in life. Do you think God has thoughts for you today? God will place thoughts in your mind just like you had a thought. That's how God speaks to us. Unless you're hearing Charlton Heston in your head, hello, I have a thought to give you. It's just me, God. I'm hanging out here with you today. Does anybody have that weird voice in their head? I don't have that weird voice in my head. If you do, we'll pray for you. But when the Bible says that God is speaking to us, the Bible is speaking about him coming to our hearts, and our hearts have the voice of our mind. The voice of your thoughts is your heart. That's, that's the way you communicate with yourself. So the way God is going to communicate with you, he is going to come through the radio signal, the antenna of your heart, through a thought. And his thoughts are always going to be righteous. They're always going to be right. And his thoughts are always going to be life. And his thoughts are always going to promote you in his kingdom. Like I said, you may suffer for following God here, but in the kingdom of God, you will forever have the blessings of following him down here. Let me just give you a good example of this because I think you guys can relate to this. Without raising your hands, because I don't want to make this too personal, but I think it's a good example. How many of you would think right now Donald Trump's an awesome guy? You're so just impressed with him. You just think he's awesome. You know, we're a church that's multicultural. And nobody here thinks he's an awesome guy. Not even me, the gringo. I think he's a babbling idiot. And I'm a conservative, and I think he made conservatives look bad. And so I believe that a man's character is what we follow and not his success. And you see, some people in this world think reigning in righteousness is just being successful. Well, when I use Donald Trump as an example, you don't think much of him. So now ask yourself and let us all make it personal. Is there a part of you that wished you were Donald Trump? Do you wish you could skip out on the kinds of things that are important to your family just to make some more money? Do you wish that you could cut corners to have people look up to your name on a building? Do you wish that you had more money and didn't have to give so much to the church? You see, you may be chasing after success and not righteousness. 
Those who are righteous reign in life, whether or not dollars and cents prove it. Sometimes people have gone through life with not a lot. They didn't have a lot to show for it, but they reigned in life in righteousness. Now, of course, I believe in both. I totally believe in both. How would you like to see righteousness and success come together? But if you had a choice, what would you go after, success or righteousness? See, salvation continues in your life when you choose righteousness over success. You choose righteousness over money. You choose righteousness over temporary, temporary physical pleasures. That's why I'm so impressed when I see young people start to date and they say, we're not going to have sex till we're married. You know why? Because we're going to honor God. We're going to reign in righteousness. We're not going to ask God to bless what he said he would curse. We're going to live the different life. I love it when I see married couples. They come to me and they say, yeah, we, we used to fight or whatever. You know, things didn't go so well with us. But you know what? We started going to marriage counseling at, at a church or at your church. And we started taking marriage classes at the life group. And, man, God has changed us. God has changed our home. See, instead of them trying to pretend like they had it all together and just because they looked successful on the outside, they knew they had to change to be righteous, to be who God called them to be. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, is that this is for everybody in Christ because he gives it abundantly. Can I hear an amen? Number two, he gives us, uh, you know what, I'm going to refresh this because I want to put the full word in here. So give me just a second, guys. I'm just going to refresh, and then I might need you to enlarge. No, Perfect. Okay, everybody turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9, because he also gives us power to strengthen our hearts from condemnation. Now, that's a big sentence and a big word in there, condemnation. Everybody say condemnation. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 9. Everybody say no condo bondo. Amen. Somebody was like, is that what they do at a mechanic shop? Like bondo? Like no? No, condo bondo means there's no bondage and there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Now I want to share with you what that means because oftentimes we get to the place where we think as Christians we got this whole thing together and sometimes you know what we do? We put ourselves in bondage and I don't want anybody here in bondage. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 6, correct? Was it 13, 6? 9 what? 13.9. Okay, I got it, guys. 13.9. Look at this here with me as we see about no bondage and condemnation. You see, this book right here was written to the Hebrews. Everybody say the Jewish people. Now, I need you to follow with me here before I get to my last point today. So it, it takes a little bit of thinking, okay? How many are thinking today? Okay, I, I just, just got to ask now after that last example, okay? We're thinking. Okay, now watch this. Jewish people were commanded by God to follow a bunch of laws, exactly 610. It had to do with not eating meat, not eating uh, like pork, rather certain kinds of meat, not eating shellfish. They also had to grow out their sideburns long. This was all a part of what we call their ceremonial law. It was to distinguish them from the nations of the world. A lot of times people get confused here, and they think that these laws are for us today. And so you'll hear somebody say, Christians aren't supposed to have tattoos, and they'll go to an Old Testament passage that says, don't mark up your bodies. 
Now, the problem with that is if you're going to keep the law not to mark up your body like a tattoo, you can't eat lechon anymore. You can't have shellfish, shrimp anymore, okay? And then you have to follow a whole lot of other things that would be crazy in our day, okay? And I just don't have time to get into it. At the flip side, then those like in the homosexual community will say, well, you guys know all those other laws are outdated. You eat shrimp. You eat pork. So why are you giving the gay marriage such a hard time? Because it's found in the same book of laws. There's a problem. They don't understand the ceremonial and moral laws. Ceremonial laws, Old Testament only, Jewish people only. Moral laws, Old Testament, New Testament. Let's take a test on moral laws. Do not murder in the Old Testament. Do you still think that's good in the New Testament or do you think that changed? It's still good. Do not lie in the Old Testament. Do we lie now in the New Testament or is it still the same? Homosexuality is a moral law put in the same place in the Old Testament in Leviticus where you're not supposed to have sex with your relatives or children or, or animals rather. No animal sex, no relative sex, no homosexual sex. Still the same today or do we change it? If we changed that portion and said this is not moral law, then we would have to say as Christians, sex with relatives and sex with animals is okay because it's found in the same place. And then the overarching thing is marriage, complete sexuality, male, female, that's what he blessed. The two shall become one because remember I mentioned before it's the image of God, male, female, singular man, singular woman. Is everybody with me? But you got to follow me here now. In this time of the book of Hebrews, Christians started to be tempted to go back and follow Jewish laws. We're only going to eat kosher meat because that's what, you know, that's what God told Moses, and that must be important, so we should do it. And then there began to be teachers that said, hey, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a Christian that eats pork, or are you a Christian that doesn't eat pork? Because if you eat pork, you're not a good Christian. And then they began to say, how do you wash? How do you wash before you go into church? And what day is church? Is church the Sabbath, the Saturday of the Jewish people? Or is it the Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus? Well, it has to go back to the Sabbath, the Saturday of the Jewish people. You see, and these laws began to get pushed onto non-Jewish people. And where we find this in our society today is that a lot of churches have made rules that are not found in the Bible for New Testament Christians. And then what happens is oftentimes we make up our own rules and we find ourselves in bondage to those rules. So let me give you an example. I didn't watch TV or movies for eight years after becoming a Christian. But is there any place in here that says thou shalt not watch movies? You see, that was a rule that I was brought up under, and I gave it myself, and I do believe God allowed me to be blessed that way, but it wasn't a rule of the Bible. And if I tried to make you for, uh, follow that rule and put pressure on you, you see, then I would be acting as a lawgiver. And that's really what it means, don't judge lest ye be judged, because that next portion says, for by the same standard you use will be used against you. And the point isn't that we shouldn't go and preach to each other the commands of God and say, hey, hey brother, I, I saw you lying, don't lie. No, that doesn't mean I'm judging you. I'm just giving you the commands of God. What judging there means when Jesus said, don't judge lest ye be judged, is it saying don't make a standard outside of the Bible and then tell others to follow it because that's what the Jewish people of that time were doing. 
They were making their own standards as well as those 610 laws and putting them on people. And so now some of these Christians were acting that way. They were making up laws and they were taking Old Testament laws. And this is what he says. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. Don't be carried away that women can't wear pants. Never says it in the Bible. Don't be carried away that you can't wear earrings or this and that. Don't be carried away by different religious things. See, maybe you were taught you had to go into a confessional and confess your sins to a priest. Don't get carried away. That's strange. That's weird. Do you ever see like Jesus sitting down somewhere in a closet going, Peter, come here, come here. No, not John, just you, Peter, come here. Now listen, you're not going to be able to really see me, but you can hear me. I want you to sit here and talk to me. Do you, do you ever see that in the Bible? But no, we, but there's people who do it, good people. In their mind, they're good, you know, and, they, and they're nice people, but they, they think it's right. And so it says, don't be carried away with strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, not by doing religious things, which is of no benefit to those who do so. Come to church in your Sunday best. Come to church in your Sunday best. Well, what happens if I don't come to church in my Sunday best? All of these superstitions, all of these things that come in the name of religion are of no benefit to you. What does grace look like? Your heart being strengthened to know who you are and what God has called you to do. I'm okay with myself as a pastor. That's why I wear shorts here. And if someone doesn't like it, that's the door. And there's five churches down the road that you can find that are just as hypocritical as you are. Right? Could I have said that any more sassy? Could I have been more sassy about it? What, right? Because I take that really serious. You're trying to mess up grace. You're trying to change grace. Grace didn't say, now everybody makes up their own rules and lives however they want. No, grace says I keep commands. But I don't have to keep your commands. I don't have to make, make my church look like your church. Well, at our church, we do this. And, you know, people have actually come to me. They say, Pastor, we'll, we'll, my wife and I want to take you out to buy you a suit. And I'm like, dude, I got plenty of suits. I just don't want to wear them. I don't like them. How, how about I take you out and buy you a nice attitude? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like, do I come to your job and mess with you? Right? But, that, but that's how people think. Don't be superstitious. Be Holy Ghost filled. And lastly, can I get uh, Jerry to, uh, Rachel to come, please? Operating God's power with the, uh, rather, operating your gifts with God's power. How many believe there are gifts and talents God has given you? Okay, do two things with me now. Open to 1 Peter chapter 4.10, and then write down three of the gifts God has given you, three of the talents God has given you. Oh, Lord, forgive me if I was too sassy. It's tough. I'll go through the next four uh, next week, so we'll do a part two. But I want you to think about this. All of us have gifts and talents. How are you going to use your gifts and talents? How are you going to apply them to your life? Guys, put that up there for me, the scripture I just said in 1 Peter. How are you going to use what God has given you? What are you going to do with your talents? Write them down, please. I want everyone to do this because it's a cognitive exercise, actually you writing it down and looking at it. So use your phone, do something. I'm not even going to look at you if you're not doing it right now. I'm going to pretend you're not even in the church. I can't, can't handle it. 
No, really, I just need to get some air. Half kid, half kid. No, I want us to write down our three talents because I want you to do a cognitive exercise. I want you to look at them. I'll write them down with you, okay? In closing here, three talents. Preaching. Being gentle. That's one of my talents is being gentle. Look at you. Caught you. Caught you. Look at you. Loyal. I'm a loyal guy by God's grace. Amen. Generous. Anybody else here generous? You just love giving stuff away. I love giving stuff away. So I'm looking at my three. You don't have to tell me yours. I'll just tell you mine. Preaching, loyal. Well, can you mean like communication? Loyal, generous. Uh, you know, you could also go into like physical talents. I'm strong. Compared to most of you, I'm strong. I think I could take most of you guys here. I'm kidding. I wanted to see what I wanted. To <laughs> I just did. I totally did that to see who would look up at me. Ricky and Tony, did you guys just look at each other and go, I think we could take them. Yeah, I know you did. I know you did. That's why I did that. That was so funny. Dude, I'm a wimp. I'm a wimp. Just think of me like a wimp. I don't care. Anyways, no, I, no I, you know, I like lifting weights. I like swimming. I'm going to swim the breadth of Devil's Lake when we go to the retreat. It's half a mile. It'll take me about a half hour. We'll see if Ricky can come with me, if he's got what it takes. Okay, as you're looking at these, just ask yourself this before we read the scripture in closing. Are you using these for God's glory? Are you using these for God's glory? Now look up at the passage. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. God empowers us to use his gifts for his glory. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to what? serve others see is Donald Trump using his gift to serve others couldn't he do something to help immigration he could now we may not always agree on these kinds of things because there's a lot of opinions but why not use what you have to serve others so now think about it if you're not using what you have to serve others you're just as disgusting to somebody else as Donald Trump is to you and I love using examples like that because now you're like, oh, my gosh, I never want to be like that to somebody else. Yeah, but if you're just as prideful with your car, you don't give a ride to anybody. Nobody deserves a ride. They should take the bus. I had to take the bus. I have a car now. They should find their own ride. That's disgusting. Well, you didn't have to work as hard as I did. I worked hard for this. I don't want to share with you. Oh, don't tell so-and-so we're going here because they never have any money. I don't want them to come. I, you know, I don't want them to come because I don't have to buy them something. Yeah, there is something to be said about lazy people. I get that. But we better check our hearts. The Bible says we should have the gift of hospitality. We should be opening up our homes. If I were to come to any one of your homes and be treated a certain way, then these young people should be treated that same way. Oh, pastor, pastor, come here, come here, pastor. Sit down right here. It's so funny because I've never looked the role of a pastor. Like still today, like if you, like if us ladies, not ladies, like you ladies and me left this church and went to a place right now, like literally, like we just walked right out the door and I kept the microphone going. We walked right out the door and like went to Mama Luna's and, and they're like, what are you guys doing? I'm like, oh, I'm their pastor. We're hanging out. Like nobody would believe I would be your pastor. They'd be like, no way, that's not your pastor. That is so not your pastor. I just, I'm not a pastor. So, but anyways, people have always been nice to me, you know, because he's my pastor. He loves me, you know. So I come over. They give me food and all of this. But yet I've seen them ignore the guests that I brought with me. So let's say I came with Brian, and Brian and I go over to somebody's house, and they're like, Pastor, sit right here, and Brian's still standing. 
Well, what does Brian sit on the floor? I'm, I could be so real with you right now. I could tell you stories and name names, but I won't. Praise God. No, I'm kidding. So imagine this. So you would treat me a certain way. Now, how about this? How would you treat Jesus if he came to your house? The Bible says, take care of strangers when they come to your house. Now, of course, there's a sense of wisdom that we have today, but it says you may be entertaining angels unaware. Okay? So just be careful how you treat people. Be wise. Be smart. But be careful how you treat people. Look where it says, each of us, every one of us, should use whatever gift we have. Whatever gift. Okay, I got communication. I'm using it to serve others. Whatever gift. Loyalty. Serving others. Generous. Serve others. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Use what God has given you to serve others. Watch the difference it will make in your life. And God will bless you. He has given you a power through grace to do these three things. Eternal life. To reign in righteousness. To have strength in your heart from condemnation. To not make rules that God didn't make. And lastly, to use your gifts for God's glory. You want to do that today? Would you stand to your feet with me? And can we bless Jesus Christ for his grace today? Would you do that? bow your head and close your eyes with me. We're just going to pray and reflect on those three things today. Salvation, a heart free from condemnation, freedom, and an ability to serve with the gifts that we have. Band, would you come? Altar workers, would you come? Let's just pray and think about those three things. What are you doing for God today? What difference is God making in your life? There is power through His grace. Freedom. What areas do you want to work on today? And say, Lord, I submit this to you. Take a few moments as Rachel just sings lightly in the background. Just communicate with God. And let Him transform your life with grace. That's what I want to do. Jesus. We'll sing in just a few moments. Right now, would you refrain from singing if you can and pray? She's singing just so that we don't have to feel like others are listening to our prayers because it's private. But I want you to pray. Introspective right now. Contemplative prayer. Meditate. Are you reigning in righteousness? If not, pray. What do you need to overcome today? What do you need to overcome? Right now, overcome it in Jesus' name. Get over it. He's given you power, power, power. The same God that set me free from my past will set you free from yours. Pray today, saints. Come on, let's pray before we go. We'll sing in just a minute, but pray to the God of, of all creation. Have you been weighed down with condemnation? Some of those that come from our, uh, come to our church come from other churches, and they have so many stories of what pastors did to them. One man told me that a pastor used to make him get his dry cleaning, and if he didn't get his dry cleaning, he didn't think he was serving God. What a strange, silly teaching. Get free of that today. Make a determination. I'm not following anything unless it's in the Word of God. I'm going to follow God. Not man's strange teachings. They're of no benefit to me. No benefit. 
Just a few more moments. Some of you here are so talented, but you have shyness. You have insecurities. And God is saying, get out, get out, get out and use your gifts. Before you play the drums, come on. I want to speak to some with their talents who are letting shyness hold you back. I was just at, at getting my doctorate at seminary last week, and there was a woman so talented, so gifted. She was in her 40s, and she said, I'm so shy. It's so hard for me. And I said, Sister, God's got a plan for you. He's going to use you. I've watched God use so many shy people. Don't let shyness hold you back. 30 more seconds right now. Where do you need the power of grace? And if I didn't name it, then you know where it's at. Pray it right now. Pray for the power of grace to come. Strengthen your heart. Jesus. Strengthen our hearts. If you don't know what to pray, just say, God, look at my heart. Just say, God, look at me and show me what doesn't look like you. Look at me, Jesus. Show me what doesn't look like you. Now, band, as we get ready to close out, we're going to sing this song together. So let's get the words up. Let's get on the same track here with Second Service. I want the words to be up. I want to have the band to be ready. Before we go, we're going to sing this song together. And as we get ready to sing it, we're going to do it as a sense of worship. But more than just worship as as one-sided. We don't want to think of worship always just unto God. We want to think of this worship unto God and empowering us. Don't you get encouraged when you sing songs to God? That's actually part of how it works. So I want you as you're singing it unto God to also keep your heart open to receive the power that He has for you. Let's sing it and then we'll leave out here today. Come on, here it is. There is power. Yes, there is power. As you're singing it, receive it. Come on, you might even want to say, I receive power in Jesus' name. I receive a new life in Jesus' name. I receive a new attitude. I receive the boldness of God. There is power. Come on a few more times. There is power. In the name of your attention we're going to close out and those who were wondering I ended right around 1245 the preaching portion the preaching portion and now we're ending around three o'clock that's what I want to do in this uh, these hotter months warmer months but as you're looking up at me can I invite you today to receive prayer from grace workers these are just grace workers and you might say well Joe you were you were picking on the guy who goes to Confession, show me this in the Bible. Oh, where do you want me to begin? The book of Acts, Jesus. 
All throughout the Bible, you see people praying for each other. Praying for each other. Do you know why? Because that's a means of impartation of God's grace. The one praying for you has to have confidence that God will hear his prayers or her prayers. And they do that by grace. The one receiving prayer does so in humility, knowing that they don't know everything, and yet God responds when two or more gather together in his name. He actually said that. So in the midst of this series, I just want to encourage you why we have prayer workers. You know what they really are? They're really grace workers. Just in the first service, there was a young lady that said, I've been struggling with same-sex attractions. I've been doing X, Y, and Z and all this. But she says, the grace of God is changing me. I am a new person. Tears were coming down her eyes. You see, that's grace. The person here didn't do it. The person was just extending it. The person was just, you know, saying, hey, what can I pray with you for? And they're like, help me to keep doing good because I'm doing good. You guys get what I'm saying. So just know that every week when you got friends, bring them up. We got a new translation thing we're doing now with the headsets. We got six headsets for bilingual Spanish interpretation. We'll do other languages if we need to. Tagalog, come on. So we're going to be adding on a new, lot of new things here. But you know what? It's all done out of grace. So think about these guys as grace workers. Think about the worship team as grace leaders. This is a grace. This is a talent she has. She's using her talent, strengthened by the grace of God, to serve you. The nursery workers, grace workers, grace preacher. Who's a grace chef or a grace cooker, as my kids would say? Who's cooking up some food by grace today, serving it up? Y'all being too shy right now. Some of you guys have some good food today. Tony, I see you as a man of grace. Would you close us out in prayer? And then whoever wants to come, would you come at the end? We'll worship some more. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you, Lord God, for the word that you have for us today, Lord God. May we always be reminded of your grace and that uh, you are constantly, constantly changing us and, and just molding us and making us, into, making us new, Lord God, each and every day. And I just pray, Lord God, that you would be with us the rest of this week. May your blessing and your anointing go before us, Lord God, and that we would just go out and change the world for you, Lord. And I pray all this in your name. And everybody said, Amen. Slap your neighbor high five and say, you are a person of grace. God bless you. Let's worship, hang out, enjoy your day. Be full of grace as you go in the power of God.